The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Are you ready? From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, and thieves. Welcome to the Boston Podcast. My name is Dave. If you like our show, I encourage you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods. And if you want your own podcast, go to pod617.com to get started. It's the Boston Podcast Network. It's what we do. We create shows right here in our Westwood Mass studios or anywhere around the globe. We'll send you out a cool microphone to get started, pod617.com. Enough about that. Let's talk about our guest. We have an in-studio guest, which is exciting. He is a lawyer. Don't hold it against him. A lot of lawyers on this show. I used to be one myself. His name's Gary Bubb. Let's welcome him to the studio. <laughs> Gary. Morning. How are you? I'm doing very well, thanks. What do you think of the Palatial Pod 617 Studios? This is awesome. It is so <laughs> much better than I thought it would be. <laughs> what did you think it was going to be? No, never mind. So Gary is an attorney, shareholder, is the official title, I believe, over at the Roberto Israel and Weiner. And how long have you been over there, Gary? 25 years. Oh, boy. So there's a little bit of backstory here. We're going to talk about all kinds of lawyerly stuff about the business world. Gary does transactional work, helping companies buy and sell and facilitate that whole thing and a couple other cool things. And we'll get into that. We might get into some por- some sports, too, because Gary has an interesting sports fandom background, especially for this, the Boston podcast. He used to be a New Yorker. We'll get into that. So you started in, so that that would be like 1999, 2000-ish? Uh, that's, when I, that's when I started at Roberto yep. Israel. At Roberto Israel, right. So, and you, so it, it seems for me doing the math, you must have started practicing law when you were like four years old, Gary. I mean, you, I was a little over, a little over 10, actually. I started, <laughs> I passed the bar in 82 and I, uh, I quickly got a job with an insurance firm as general counsel for an insurance firm. Because that's every little kid's dream. Pretty much. I, what do you remember about the bar exam? Nothing. <laughs> it was in, it was in the old, uh, it was like the Smith and Walensky as a restaurant now at the bottom of some castle. That's where everybody, yeah. that's where everybody took it. That's, that's all oh. I remember. I remember that the, there's a multi-state portion that was pretty easy cause you, 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 you studied the books and, and, right. and then there was this, was a written essay portion. Which is the state portion. Right, which and is, that's, it was exactly what the bar review told you it was going to be. Yeah, the multi-state to me was was hard, but, I mean, you're working smart and everything. I, no, I, I just, it's a tough, it's just a lot of information to cram into your brain. It really is. Do you think it makes sense? In other words, does it make sense that we put l- lawyers to be through this? I don't remember utilizing much <laughs> of anything that I learned in law school and, and even less of what I learned in the bar review. It's amazing that this system is still what it is because, in my opinion, it, it's broken. It, like you said, it doesn't prepare, prepare you for being a lawyer. <clears throat> Maybe 2 to 3% of what you will eventually make use of, that's about it. But, and then you got the medical industry that's, hey, what an idea. We'll have people learn on the job, right, and mm-hmm. actually learn how to be a doctor and do it in action. There's none of that. You can pass the bar and then walk into a court and never been in a court before. And have someone's lives in your hands, but end of rant. The the other thing was being a lifelong Celtics fan. I had 
two reasons to be miserable the morning of the bar exam because the night before Reggie Lewis had passed away. Right. So that was me. At any rate, yeah, so, Reggie Lewis, uh, Len Bias. Sure. Uh, yeah, we've had news. we had a couple of them. That was the beginning of the the Celtics. Well, it was right in the middle of that drought, I guess. Anyway, so. Tell us, tell us why you like what you do. Let, let's start there. Your clients, I take it, are, are corporations, and you're handling deals. Tell us why you enjoy it, right. uh, presuming you do, Gary. Sorry, good. I am, yeah, I do. <laughs> I love what I do, and I'm very I'm fortunate because, uh, yeah, my practice, you're not, you're not locked into a particular area of law. In order to be a good M&A lawyer, you have to be sort of a Renaissance lawyer. You have mm. to be multi-talented, able to move you know, quickly in a bunch of different disciplines. So that's, that's what I like about M&A, merge and acquisitions practice. Sure. Right. I'm also, uh, when I got out of law school, I didn't think I was going to just make it without something further. So I went to Boston University and got an LLM in tax law. Uh-huh. And I was also fortunate enough that I actually get to practice tax law. Mm-hmm. So uh, the part of my practice that I really enjoy the most is representing transitioning C-level executives, whether mm-hmm. coming or going, or there's a private equity deal and they can't figure out what their equity means or their company's being sold and they want to know, oh, do I have to roll over this much of my stuff like that? And so mm-hmm. both the tax practice and the m and I really enjoy all aspects of that practice. So your typical client is a guy who's a, an executive at a, at a corporation wants to either leave for good or switch firms and he's trying to figure out what his best options are because it can be complicated, right? Cause with this compensation yes. package and all that and ownership or whatever. Yeah. I'm brought in specifically for the, basically for deferred comp or equity comp. It's the compensation package that it's either uh, given to them without negotiation or they get to negotiate it early on. But in either case, they don't fully understand what it means. It's hard to understand profits, interest. It's hard to understand exactly how your options play out from a tax standpoint. Mm-hmm. It's hard to understand, uh, you know, what 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 it means for a rollover to occur in a, in a private equity deal or a, a strategic acquisition. Mm-hmm. So that's what I that's what I help them out with. And any industry in particular, industry agnostic, or in, yeah, industry agnostic, yeah, okay. every industry. And so I take it the gratification there, the thing that kind of keeps you going is it's a a complex discipline, like a puzzle that you know how to solve. Am I onto something there? You're onto something there, but I more often than not, I don't actually know the answer at the time <laughs> the question is presented, and I I just kind of bluff my way through it, do a little <laughs> bit of research, and then come back come back with the answer. Well, that's interesting. You bring that up because that's I was taught at Alliance Bernstein, which is I had a five and a half year stint. Yeah. in finance and learned about a lot of the concepts that you deal with because Bernstein's known for its financial projections. So you can say to this executive, this is what your personal wealth is going to look like depending upon what choices you make and, and when you depart the company, all that. But one of the most important things I learned was to get comfortable with the phrase, I don't know, but I'll find out for you. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Also, as a lawyer, you got two of them because you got you got that and you got it depends because it always does. Do people ever at this doesn't happen to me as much as it used to. But do people who find out you're a lawyer, a successful firm and all that, do they ask you questions about the law that are completely irrelevant to what you do? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, they do. It's um, they find out you're a lawyer. They think, you know, everything about 
for example, I'm a tax lawyer. They think I know everything about personal income taxes and stuff like that. Yeah. I know nothing about it, and I, I won't answer their questions. Mm-hmm. In other words, yeah, they think everything about every possible aspect of law when it's when your your, your knowledge universe is extremely limited. Right, and it, they aren't interested in what. Right. Yeah, and it's always something silly like, "Oh, that O.J. murder case, Gary. You must be watching that really closely, right? Because you're a lawyer." Well, I, I had to follow the Murdoch thing. The oh, I'm sorry, Rupert Murdoch. No, 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 no. Oh, the, murder. Uh, oh, the, murder. The murder oh, thing. Of course, yeah. Right. Where was that? North Carolina, somewhere down there. Yeah, that was. So, if you don't know, there's, there's this guy. He's in jail now, right? Yeah, he just got oh, sentenced. He's in jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he. Oh man! If you haven't seen the documentary on that, go watch it. There are a couple of them. Yeah, there's, actually, there's a Netflix did a great uh, three part series on it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's it's amazing that guy got away with what he did for so many years. Real gem of a guy, he seems like. So, tell me when you're negotiating a deal, what what part of it is? I don't mean to repeat. My, I hope I'm not repeating myself. But what part of it is the part that you're like, yeah, this is me. This is this is what I do. All right. Right from the top, it usually usually because of my practice, the deal comes across my desk a little bit late. Okay, so many times I'm trying to correct errors that have already occurred. In other words, the more often than not, it's a sell side deal. Mm-hmm. I represent more sellers than buyers, and more often than not, by the time I see it, if they've engaged an investment banker, they already engaged them, and they mm-hmm. already signed the term sheet, the you know the engagement letter with the investment banker, and there's a bunch of mistakes there. Mm-hmm. And also, they may have already signed a term sheet with the buyer, and it it is. It has been improperly structured. Mm. That happens a lot with tax lawyers. They're they're asked at the last minute to opine on the deal, and it's 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 already too late. They think you're going to be like, hey, just uh, put your initials on this, Gary. This looks good, right? That's uh, exactly <laughs> what they think you're going to do. Right. So you must deal with a lot of business owners that are actually saying goodbye to their baby, their company. Just tell us what that's like, because I know that people are reluctant, and there's actually some emotion involved there even. Right. Interestingly, that's happening a lot less now than it did when I started practicing. Mm -hmm. More often than not, the business owner, particularly in a strategic acquisition, the business owner, the uh, buyer expects them to stay, Mm -hmm. right? They're going to lock them up in a non-competition. They're going to extend their compensation, and they're going to find ways not to pay them in full now. But they want their expertise, so Mm -hmm. they want to lock them up with uh, an employment agreement and some type of retention arrangement. Mm-hmm. So they don't get to actually, they don't, they don't have to leave their baby more often than not. When they do, I, I haven't found uh, anybody who has a, a whole lot of trouble with that. Mm-hmm. More often than not, they're, they're ready. Mm-hmm. They're ready to. Okay. Yeah, because it's, it is like a lot of times just in lockstep, like their whole world is this company, right? I mean, the, the mm-hmm. in other words, you're, when you negotiate these things for them, I mean, do you do you do they ask you what my life is going to look like five years, ten down, ten years down the road? I guess that's in the deal, right? I mean, I, yeah, no, they don't. <laughs> they don't. Okay, a lot of them, a lot of them, they did, they did start their own business and they've been in control of their own lives and they just assume they're going to continue to control it. Mm-hmm. I've yeah, I've never had um, anyone ask me a serious question about what do I what do I do now because <laughs> they 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 have they do have plans. Okay. Well, that's, it's nice. They have plans. It's nice. So you, I mean, you're helping a lot of people get to the Caymans and the Bahamas and places like that, maybe that's right. (laughs) or, or onto their next thing. We're going to take a quick break here as we hear from our sponsor, another podcast that you'll be interested in, particularly if you're a fan of eighties music, it's past tens, a top 10 time machine. You can find them online at timemachinepod.com. 
Past Tense, a Top Ten Time Machine, the podcast where we go back in time. We'll go back that week in history. And we look at the top ten songs from the Billboard charts. We analyze. This is 80s with gobs of oozy cheese. And sometimes we criticize. What the f*** were we thinking? With your hosts, Milton Dave. Find us at timemachinepod.com or search for Past Tense anywhere you find your podcasts. It's actually great. What do you think is a common misconception about a transaction of a lawyer? People hear, oh, yeah, that Gary Bubby, he's a big-time lawyer over at Roberto Israel. What is? What are some misconceptions that people might have about your world? Right. Transactional lawyers, the misconception would probably be that we're like accountants, like have no personality, no additional <laughs> interests, things like that, particularly right. yeah, also with a tax lawyer. And actually, we're pretty normal human beings and are quite engaged in our, in our own lives and have many interests. That's generally the case. I went to high school with these two dudes, both of whom went on to become big-time tax lawyers. Charles Cheever, who was over at Choate, I think he's still the managing partner, and Chris Perry, who's in finance. And they grew up together, and they both ended up being tax lawyers. And they're both dreadfully boring. So <laughs> I, I, that, I offer that as a rebuttal guy. No, it's not true. They're actually very sweet guys. So tell us how people, before we forget, Gary, how, how people can get in touch with you and learn more about what you, what you do. Okay, so the firm is Roberto Israel and Weiner. It's a full service sure. business law firm. So there's we do commercial litigation, the corporate department. I'm in the corporate department. We handle all business transactions. We've got uh, a banking department that represents most of the banks in Boston and, and several national banks, and then a trust and estates department because all your clients need that. And uh, riw.com. That's the uh, there you go. Page. So I buried the lead here. I used to work at this very firm when it was known as Shapiro, Israel, and Weiner. And Gary and I only missed you because I was only there a year. Like, I was, I think I still had braces on my teeth. No, it wasn't. But I was in my 20s, worked there for a year. And Barry Weiner was the guy that I got introduced to because my parents went to college with him. So when you're desperate for looking for a job straight out of law school, you ask your parents to introduce them to all, you to all their important friends. And when they, figured out they didn't have any important friends they they chose barry instead no i'm just kidding so but but, but barry is he and as you just told me before we started rec recording gary he's mostly retired and comes by once in a while but he he was um, for a while he was the portrait of the quintessential trial lawyer to me just almost he struck quite a figure right the man's got to be six five six five oh i got it right and looks and and barry if you're listening don't take this the wrong way but resemble the young Fred Gwynn, who unfortunately most people know. Okay, most people know him from the Munsters, but he was the judge in My Cousin Vinny. You'll that's remember, right. Right? And so, Absolutely. and that's kind of what Barry looked like. But when he walked into a room, he came, and he wasn't, he wasn't that serious, actually. He had a, a great, he has a great sense of humor and everything. But so, it is, you've been there for so long. Why? Does it have to do with the, the culture of the firm? Tell us that. It probably does have to do with the culture, yeah. And how would you describe it? Yeah, let, that's interesting. Origination and economics are very important. Right. Uh, the role of the lawyer as a rainmaker uh, is important. Right. Uh, the, the firm is focused on marketing. I'm not historically a good marketer. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. I'm here. <laughs> You're marketing. here. This is marketing. I'm Come on. I'm here marketing. All right. It's the first <laughs> podcast <laughs> I've ever done. Okay. So, yeah. But the focus on marketing is important. And there's also a focus on culture. It's very important to everybody there, the partners right down to associates, mm -hmm. um, that they have life. Yeah. Okay. So the, yeah, hour, I remember. the hour requirements are interesting. Okay. They're there, but they're, okay. you know, it's more important. Origination is probably more important even than, than meeting the hour requirements. 
is everyone back in the office post COVID? No, really. Okay. Now the lawyers want the people back. There are. I would say at this point, there's sort of modified schedules where everybody used to be there every day. They'll have one day remote or two mm. days remote and mm. stuff like that. Yeah. So it's funny you say that because it's precisely what my memory is of the place. I was kind of hired on a temporary basis, so it didn't necessarily apply to me. But but if they brought in an, even an associate who was maybe right out of law school or a couple years out of law school, they gave that associate a budget for marketing. I think it was five thousand a year, which that doesn't maybe that doesn't sound like a lot. But when you're right out of law school and they give you five thousand dollars, say go spend this. It's like well how? And so you learn it very slowly over time. And I'll use um, one of your colleagues as an example, Jim Fox, who's a great guy, a little bit goofy. Sorry, Jim. A lot goofy. A lot goofy, but terrific guy. One of the guys I palled around with the, the year that I was there. I was only there a year. But he used, to, <laughs> he used to basically just have keg parties in his backyard and invite a lot of friends and charge it to the firm. And a couple of the other lawyers would be like, Jim, what a nice scam you get going here. And he said, no, these are, these are potential clients. You want? And you know what? He was right because a lot of people he went to college with who were in business or some discipline, and they were on their way up, and they became his clients. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yep. Did, you, did, you, did you hold any – have you held any keg parties, Gary? You I have, but none it. of them have become clients. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, I promised a little bit about sports, and tell us – you grew up – you said you grew up in the New York area. Whereabouts? I grew up in New Jersey, in Cranford, New Jersey, which for people from the area, it's one exit 135 on the parkway. That's how <laughs> Jersey people identify themselves. Either no, they, I know. That's usually my joke. Hey, what exit? But yeah, you 135. Stole 135. <laughs> how close to the Tappan Zee Bridge? Probably not that close to the Tappan Zee Bridge. about 60 miles, maybe. Oh, okay. No, it's probably not that far. Probably 40 miles. Okay. From the Tappan Zee. This exhausts my knowledge of New no, Jersey. No, Tappan Zee New is Jersey. how you get from Jersey to Boston. Right. You don't you don't go over to George Washington. You don't go through New York City. Exactly. Right. It's one of the first things I learned. I went to college in Philly, and, and we used to make that five-and-a-half-hour drive and right. with the, the chicken-scratch directions that my dad gave me. And so you rooted – tell me the teams that you rooted for as a young man. Well, back, back in the 60s, uh, yep. late 50s and the 60s, there was always a bifurcation in New York sports. You're, uh, if you're a, it'd be like the Nets, the Mets, the Jets, and the Islanders. Okay, that right. you know, half the population was there, or less than half. But, and the balance was Rangers, football giants, Yankees, and the Knicks. So I was in that, I was that, in was that camp. Yep. So, and I came up to Boston, uh, Boston area, to go to college in 69. And the transition was, was slow, but ultimately it did happen. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine exactly how it happened. In other words, the first transition was from the Knicks to the Celtics when Bird arrived. Right. <laughs> and then the transition from the giant, football giants to the Patriots was very slow. Yeah. All right, but it started with the snowball. Obviously, that, that got me interested. But the Giants won the Super Bowl twice in the 90s. I, okay. I realize that. And then twice again I know. against uh, I was, my beloved Patriots. I was Arbor. devastated the 2007, perfect season. We lost right. to the Giants. I was devastated. So I had really? completed the transition so, in yeah, 2007. That, that's amazing. I, I give you credit. Was it, was, it, was it an intentional choice? Like, well? No, nope, it's all emotional. You're a fan. Really? It's all okay. where your emotions go. Well, but the in- so the interesting yep. transition was from the Yankees to the Red Sox because 2003, Aaron Boone, I was ecstatic, right? He had the okay. home run to of win course. the ACLS. Yep. 2004, when it was just a remarkable thing, yep. 2004. The comeback. And against- when Damon hit the grand slam yep. in game seven, I was actually, I would, that's when, that was like the turning point. Really? I said, this is the most epic thing in the world. And, I, and of course, I was at Hurricane O'Reilly's for, for game four of the World Series. I was, when the moment Damon hit that home run, I was on the Bourne Bridge, 
not ready to jump oh. off. <laughs> not ready to jump. Doesn't sound what it sounds like. I was driving over the board. The, the Barnstable Bar Association had hired me to be their speaker for this dinner they had. I was at Lawyers Weekly at the time. They thought that would be amusing. I guess it worked out okay. But I couldn't think of a way to get back in time. So I figured that now oh, yeah. th- those those games. What were you doing? Oh, well, road? I know, but it worked out because 03, 04, those, those two, the Yankees, Red Sox, just blood wars, just the, the, these these odysseys. It seemed like every game went into like the 13th. Yep. <laughs> it wasn't quite that, but there were a few of them. And I was so, I was, it was a chore managing my emotional state. As you say, that's what being a fan is about. I mean, fan is short for fanatic. It's, it's an irrational practice that right. we follow. Yeah, Why I really you- couldn't control. I couldn't control which team I wound up uh, being, a, you know, emotionally tied to it, but it did happen. Why do you think we do this? In, in 03 and 04, I, legitim- I was a young man, uh, presumably relatively healthy, and I was having chest pains. That's, that's how, wow. That was my level of stress. But I'm curious to hear your answer. I have my own, but why it is we do this? Because if you, if you, it's the type of thing that you say if a Martian came down from outer space and you tried to explain to him what was going on, it's like, who are these people on the field? Well, that's the professional baseball team. And what are you do? Why are you cheering when they do something? It's like, well, I want them to win. It's like, are they friends of yours? You're, you're hoping? For, nope, don't know them at all. We'll probably never meet any of them. And yet, I'm living and dying by this. Why? I guess I, I would say like like mm-hmm. in in many many difficult questions, there's probably a genetic component and a, <laughs> and an upbringing component. Right. You know. Right. And so I, I kind of had to change my genetics, but it, I, I think it all goes back to how you're raised and what, and what captures your attention yeah. when you're younger. And then you don't, you don't get away from it. Yeah. I think the best reason to root is because you're, it's a shared experience now. Mm-hmm. And, and I would suggest not to psycho, psycho, I wouldn't imagine to psychoanalyze you care, but that once you became, once you made Boston home, there was part of you that sort of wanted to be part of this weirdness, of this hysteria, of the, yeah, <laughs> being would, a Red Sox fan. That's kind of like the genetic component, right? I yeah. think you're kind of, I just feel like, no, I'm, I'm a sports fan, absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've always been that way from when I was six years old. I, I could tell you I could tell you the starting lineup for the Yankees in that 61 series. I still can tell you. In right, 61. So was that the year they lost to Mazeroski? Mazeroski, yeah. Yeah, so you knew I was going to bring that up. But you don't root for him anymore, so it's cool. <laughs> you, you actually made, I mean, like you say, it's, it's, it's almost like you don't make the decision. The, your emotion decides for you. But... That was a pretty good swap. You switched. You switched right when the tide turned. When I'm a front runner. I'm a genetic <laughs> front runner. <laughs> well, I was in, I was in Foxborough at the game for the game you referenced, the snow game in 2001. It was the last game in the old crappy Foxborough Stadium, and of course the the tuck rule and all that. That was the moment that until up until that point for the previous something like 13 years, the city of Boston had zero championships. And just we were labeled the Loserville by I think Jerry Callahan, who was at the Herald at the time. Shortly thereafter, and it's only a couple of years later that Dave Roberts is safe at second right, base, right. and everything changes for the Red Sox. And it was right around when you switched, so yeah, right around man. there, right around there. Yep. What's the most memorable live sporting event you've ever attended? Oh boy, oh boy! And it doesn't have to be like a Super Bowl or World Series. Just it might be something from. You're, did you, did you used to go to the the old Yankee Stadium? No, I mean, I guess I, I think yeah. the, probably the most memorable is the uh, it was the Patriots against the Bills at home. I was I was at the game, 
And apparently, and I was, it was right after, I think, the defensive end for, for the Bills intercepted Brady and ran the ball in the end zone. Mm. I forget who it was. But I was on national TV because the camera panned to me, and mm. I was just sitting there with this, with this devastated look on my face for like 15 seconds. <laughs> oh my and my phone starts erupting. I'm getting texts and calls. Right, you're and on I, TV. So now I found, yeah, that's how I found out. So that's probably the most memorable because that's, I, don't, I had like 15 seconds of fame. <laughs> Did the Patriots end up losing that game? No, no, Brady hit the tight end. Twice. Ben Coates. No, it was... Not Gronk. No, it was the other guy, the big guy. I, I'm not going to remember his name. Fourier. No. no. All right. No, no. Well, it was Ben. His first name was Ben. No, not Ben Coates. Not Ben Coates. Benjamin Watson. Watson. There we go. It's so funny how you remember. It's one of the fun things about being a sports fan is not necessarily all the World Series and everything, but there are these, these games that become quickly forgotten, and yet they're indelibly... Right. I was at a Patriots-Bills game that... Some people may remember this game was in the Drew Bledsoe era, but we were playing the Bill, the Bills and Doug Flutie, and they were good at the time. And we, it looked like the the all hope was lost. I think we didn't convert on a fourth down, but then the the referee said uh, it was like the sideline play. It looked like the Patriots player was out. It was later revealed that the referee said to his fellow referee, "Just let him have it." which is not a good thing to say when you're a referee and they're in Fox Bowl. So, and then on what looked to be the final play of the game, Bledsoe threw it into the end. I'll, I'll try to wrap up the story, but there's an interesting punchline. Bledsoe throws to Terry Glenn, hits him square in the chest, which would be right. which would have been a miraculous touchdown. He drops it, but there's a flag on the play. It's pass interference. The, the clock is read zero. The Patriots still trail by like four or something. They line up for one untimed down, and Bledsoe hits Coates for the touchdown, and the place went mental. Yep. And that that was that put the Patriots up by two at that moment. And so you got to kick the extra point, right? Which is which is one of the. I don't know if they still have that. Maybe they don't have that anymore. You're right. I don't think they do it anymore because I remember because in the like in the Super Bowl when the Patriots scored on that James White thing, I don't think they kicked the extra point. But back then, for whatever reason, no, you got to kick the. Well, the Bills were furious. They thought. Not one, but two horrible calls had gone against them. They left. They left the field. And everyone's kind of milling around just celebrating the victory. And then we notice the Patriots are lining up without an an opposition. And so the ball is snapped and Vinatieri is there. And instead of kicking it, Vinatieri catches a a little flip back to him and runs into the end zone for the (laughs) two-point conversion, which, which was just a funny way to end it. And also on ESPN, what I didn't realize is after they were like, "Okay, watch this clip." Great moments in gambling history, because those oh, two, spread yeah. those two points covered the spread. All right, right. spent way too long on that story. All but right. so, yeah, what? How would you rank the teams in terms of your passion now? Now, yeah, the Celtics, Patriots, Red Sox, Bruins. Interesting. I have Bruins last because. As my dad likes to say, watching hockey is like watching one big turnover. Us non-hockey fans, we don't get it. I, I'm with you there. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. I didn't play right in, in, Me in high yeah. school and college. I played, you know, baseball, basketball, and football, but I didn't play hockey. I know. I don't know anything about right. hockey, so I can't speak authoritatively. But that's about interesting. Any Celtics of it. is your top, uh, and I think maybe it's because of when you. Well, no, I guess Brady's it, gone. It's like the Patriots just aren't, they're, they're just fumbling around. So I'm just not as, as tied to them. Celtics appear to be on the verge of something. They do. They do. All right. Well, we are uh, going to play a round of good stuff where both Gary and I will recommend something good to you, the listening audience. 
Before we do that, let me take one minute to remind you of what we do here at the Boston Podcast Network. Pod617.com is where you go. If you want your own show, podcasting is a great way to network, to market. Look at Gary's doing it right now. He's on my show, and you're learning all about him. Isn't it fun? Right. <laughs> so if you want your own podcast, go to Pod6. We'll set you up the whole thing. It's a great way to connect with clients, prospective clients, and everything. People will be amazed at the quality of the show that we put out here. Go to Pod617.com to get started. It's the Boston Podcast Network. In Pod, we trust. All right, let's play good stuff. Oh, that's the good stuff. Now, we're going to cut you some slack, Gary. You do have to play. You have to recommend something. But bear in mind, people, Gary's had all of, like, 32 and a half minutes to prepare for this. So my apologies. But do you have something good to recommend to our listening audience? Yes, actually, I do. And it's in keeping with the whole last 15 minutes of this. I recommend that people learn about and become emotionally attached to the Boston Bruins. I think what's going to mm. happen here is something that will be epic in the history of the country which is going to be a simultaneous NBA final and Stanley Cup final. And I don't even know how they're going to schedule it, but I think it, it could happen. I, I'm, I'm sure that that's happened before, maybe in Chicago, but I don't know if they both won. I, I don't think any, any city ever has two winners in the NBA and the Stanley Cup. I, yeah, I, I don't know if maybe Chicago would have been my guess too. And Boston probably missed it just barely. Or maybe did we possibly do it in like 1974? I, I, no, we didn't. No, 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 you're right. I don't think no. it, I don't think it's happened. No, but I'm sorry that that's probably doesn't fit with any other good stuff you've ever done. No, that's very I good. Think I I need to get in touch with the Bruins because well, I think they're gonna I think they're gonna drop. All right, because the one time I was involved with the Bruins, they lost. Remember Game Seven against the Blues? They lost the Stanley Cup at home, and yeah. that I'm thinking, oh, oh this yeah. isn't this isn't good for me yeah but i know they're doing very well now it's my understanding that the power play sucks but it's starting to come around <laughs> so i think i think both teams could make it to the final it's just so i feel like i should get on the bandwagon too because i did get on the bandwagon in was it 2013 that the bruins won the cup i want to say maybe Beats bruins me. fans you'll probably hate me for that but you're right it could be something special that just watch just i just i check the the standings every day just to see how gaudy the numbers look it it looks yeah, almost silly how they're running away with it the problem is i'm get you mentioned that perfect patriot season which ended at heartbreak right. it just i wonder if it feels a little bit like that for bruins fans cuz i don't know what you remember about that patriot season but everything yeah and the first like 6 to 8 games were delightful they could do no wrong there there were games when brady would just fling the ball up to Randy Moss saying, yeah, he'll probably catch this, and he would. Yeah. And uh, we're breaking records on offense. But then toward down the, 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 you know, down the stretch, the, the games became so stressful to me because when you're undefeated, the, the, people are just waiting for you to lose, and it, it became this sort of very anxiety-ridden uh, like march, and it felt like eventually we were going to fall, and sure enough, we did. Yeah. Did you enjoy that season? Oh yeah, I really. I went to the uh, the final game of the regular season was the Patriots and the Giants in uh, in the Meadowlands. That's right. And I actually, I went to that game, which I think they only it was like thirty eight thirty five. They could have lost that. Oh, I I I thoroughly enjoyed the season, and I I was thoroughly destroyed by the uh, Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, that game I remember. That was a game Brady and Moss both 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 broke records at the time for touchdowns, and we we barely hung on to beat the Giants. So right. we sh should have known that something was was yeah. looming. A few years later, when the Patriots met the Giants again in the Super Bowl, I had this awful personal experience where 
I was working for the financial firm Bernstein, and we were told that we were going to need to be in New York for this educational conference, but also they were going to wine and dine us a little bit. It was kind of a nice reward. So I was looking forward to it. Then I realized I looked at the date, and we had to be there like Sunday afternoon, and then the conference was like Monday and Tuesday or whatever. So you had to watch the game in a hostile environment. as soon as the date came out, I called. I happened to know the woman who was in charge of marketing. I, I said, do you, do you realize you scheduled this on Super Bowl Sunday? And she says, oh, shit. And so she says, "She says, well, now we're pleased to tell you the welcome reception will be a Super Bowl party. And, I, and, I, and this was weeks before the Super Bowl. And I said to myself, I know what's going to happen. It's going to be Giants-Patriots, yep. and I'm going to be in New York City. Right. And sure enough, that's what happened. I had to... Halfway through the game, I had to excuse myself and go out to my hotel room and watch it by myself because I was afraid of breaking something in uh, frustration. I will recommend it's it's not something that anyone needs to be recommended to because everybody knows about this show, Succession, but I just started watching season four. I'm going to play a little bit of, the, and it's apropos of Gary's presence here. Now, have you seen the show? Yeah, I saw it. I, I love Succession. You do? I, okay. I wish I'd have thought of that. No, that's okay. I'll stick with what I did. Well, let me play a little bit of the trailer for season four and then we'll discuss everyone ask how I'm feeling? I got done a huge deal. I got the election. I got ATM. I got plenty on my plate. He's on the floor, Tom. Explain me what he's doing. He's moseying, terrifyingly moseying. <laughs> it's like if Santa Claus was a hitman. We were cut out behind our backs. But there's a shape for things for us. We partner up with Sandy and Stewie with Pierce. Death wrestling ogres. Excited to get into this knife fight? Let's blow it up. I'm not authorized to let you take off. It's that. You know, in Buddhism, sometimes your greatest tormentor can also be your most perceptive teacher. Mm-hmm. Hey, Buddha, nice Tom Ford. Okay, so we'll, we'll, st- we'll stop it there, but if you're uh, a fan of the show, there'll be no spoilers because you're probably caught up on this. There's a, we're only two episodes into... Uh, Season four, and I haven't even finished the second episode yet. But anyway, oh, I haven't even started. So, okay, uh, so no, don't worry. But but all you need to know is that that the lines have been drawn. So there might be some spoilers here if you're going to go back and watch the first three seasons. So you can uh, skip this part of the podcast, people. But if you haven't and you're a fan, you know that when season three ended, the story is basically it, it, it's it's a I guess uh, fair to say a fictionalized version of. Rupert Murdoch and, and his family. At least that's what it was inspired by. But the patriarch, played by Brian Cox, has basically parted ways with three of his kids, and only one remains loyal to him. And Kendall and Shiv, and now I'm forgetting the character played by Kieran Culkin, who's the best. They, right, me too. They, they, ben Watson. <laughs> fine, I'll look that up too. Now I feel silly. But you know they they are basically starting trying to start their own empire basically competing with dad and what do you like about the show let me ask you that first gary uh, i like the writing screenwriting i think the yeah. dialogue is exceptional now and, and the ca- the personalities of some of the characters now you're a corporate lawyer so you're the perfect guy to ask are there ever moments where you're like yeah that wouldn't happen in real life. Yeah, probably. But it's yeah. like in Law and Order. Most of that stuff wouldn't happen in, in a real trial. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah there's stuff like a shareholder meeting and all these, all this right. dropping a bomb in a shareholder meeting and but stuff that, like that. But that doesn't bother you so much. Yeah. it's The character's name is Roman. Roy. Roman. I, I cheated. I Googled it. But, right. but it's 
the to me the show is mostly great. It's had some up and ups and downs. It's gotten a little bit slow in time. Who's your favorite guy on the on the show or gal? I. That's interesting. I I like Kendall. I think the guy who plays Kendall. him is just yeah. tremendous. All right, I'm not that drawn to his personality or character, but I like the I like the acting done. The, yeah, the, the, the way the guy plays Kendall, I think, is excellent. And the guy I can't stand is the tall guy whose name escapes me, but he's just always befuddled and 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 the young guy, yeah, uh, the young guy. Uh, that's cousin. Whenever yeah. he's on the screen, he he irritates me. But that's that's the way he acts. He's acting the way his character. Yeah, demands, exactly. But but it just irritates me. Yeah, I don't like his. His like unofficial mentor Tom, he bothers me for some reason. Right, but yeah, cousin Greg or nephew Greg, whatever you want to call him. But to me, I, I'm with you. The writing is usually very good. And again, I'm cheating here. I'm looking at the cast on my screen. So, but <laughs> Jeremy Strong is the guy you're talking about who plays Kendall, especially yeah. that's that season where again, spoiler alert, where he accidentally kills a waiter or something more or yeah, less the, the, it was like the uh, it was like a chapaquitic bridge thing yeah, yeah it was like a like chapaquitic situation he, he he did some great acting in that season i mean he always yes. does but but that to see how rot with guilt he was and yet he, he, somewhere part of his heart is still pretty black apparently because he was able to shake that off but you know the theme of the show if there is one is that they're all incorrigible right Yep. They're they're horrible people, yep. right? Which which sometimes makes for yeah. good TV. It's like the Murdochs, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So so far, again, no spoilers for season four, but so far it's great. It's the the first two episodes I think are very good, and it's and I'm pretty sure this is the yeah this is the final s- season, and sets the stage for whatever's going to happen with this this crazy family. Anyway, we've gone longer than expected because we were having fun. But Gary, I hope you had fun. I did. Very good. Thank you. So Gary Bub corporate lawyer and all-around awesome guy and Boston sports fan. Go to riw.com and look for Gary if you want to get in touch with him, network with him. I recommend it. Once again, if you like this podcast, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your shows. If you want your own show, go to pod617.com to get started. On behalf of Gary Bubb, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston, but if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Have a great day, everybody. Go Bruins!